Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labelled Podcast. This week, we have been focusing on Autism World Autism Awareness Week. So we've been speaking to uh, lots of people who have autism and their experiences on. Today, we've got Graham Rogers with us. Hello, Graham. Hello, peeps. Hello, how are you? Uh, Pete's fine, very casual. Very <laughs> casual. <laughs> How are you, Graham? All right? Uh, I'm feeling good, thanks. How are That's you? Good. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, uh, yeah, I had a diagnosis on the autism spectrum age 20 after a mental breakdown in college. And, yeah, and since then I've become a sort of self taught advocate about about mental illness, disability, vulnerable adults, things like that. Well, that's that's interesting. There's I know that there's quite often a lot of crossover between um, people with ASD and uh, mental illness. Do you mind sort of talking a little bit about your experience of, of that or sort of your knowledge of of that across the um, the autistic community? Oh goodness, that's a thing. That's the weird thing about history, isn't it? It doesn't it never happens in the right order. Mm. So uh, yeah, like I said, I was diagnosed with it after having a really bad mental breakdown in college. I uh, yeah, I really struggled. I was anxious all the time. I was stressed. I uh, I felt like I didn't belong to people. Like I was sort of invisible. And uh, and uh, yeah, and it was actually my uh, counsellor in college who suggested I might have. Condition I've never even heard of before, but uh, as I did more research into it and into it, I started to feel, yeah, that I had that, you know, it was something. So, yeah, yeah I'd never even heard of Asperger's at the time, so it was uh, quite a relatively new thing. Of course, mm. now it's probably more talked about nowadays, and uh, yeah. So, after the counselor had said to you at college, I think you might you might have this condition did I, I presume it was lots of medical appointments you know and things like that did it feel like a bit of a relief like you could like an understanding of oh now I've got this label almost I, I kind of know what it is that kind of mindset uh, actually it wasn't uh, actually you said many many medical appointments it actually actually wasn't really like that I just sort of mm. took a year out from college and you know took some time to relax and whatnot try to get a good job you know but uh, I think after a while I sort of realized you know I can hide it anymore I sort of felt myself slipping back into old uh, old habits things like that and I just said to my parents look I think I have this condition that I know a lot about and uh, I'd like to go to see a doctor about it 
So, yeah, well, all the clues were there. They really were. Mm. My mum kept all the uh, my old school reports, and uh, so we took them to our specialist when we saw her. And yeah, she spotted all the signs, things like hand flapping, and you know, adherence to the rules, and yeah, all the little things that you know are there, but you know, probably went over other people's head. But yeah, I spent like an hour in like the sessions just talking about things and looking at the school reports and after an hour she said yep you definitely got it so in a way I was sort of relieved because you yeah. know, it, it, some people fight for years to get a diagnosis mm. but I had all the evidence I pretty much needed really that's the thing I think Alice I don't know about you but I certainly think well you know the thought of having to go through a new diagnosis it always seems to me or I think it is a long road and a, and a fight because I've heard so many stories about people, you know, having to fight for diagnosis and things. And then you hear Graham's sort of story where it's like after an hour, yeah, you've definitely got it. It's um, I think it's it's particularly difficult because a lot of people um with autism and and autism related traits get misdiagnosed with mental illnesses and you know anxiety um and things like that because the two quite often go hand in hand where mm. you know if you you have difficulty interpreting uh social cues and things like that then you're probably quite anxious when you're in big groups but it's not you know that that anxiety isn't a mental illness sort of anxiety that anxiety is is linked to something else um so i think that's something that happens quite a lot for people with autism yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I knew it was something, but uh, yeah, you know, for a while I thought maybe I was bipolar because I had these really bad mood swings, but then I realised these bad mood swings, they were just a, a product of uh, the environment I was in at the time and things like that. Graham, you, you've spoken about when uh, you were sort of first diagnosed with autism. H how did you, how did your group of friends that you were surrounded with at the time take the news that oh, Graham's got a, a diagnosis of autism and how did that affect you your mental health I know that you've taken a you know you've sort of looked at your life and and made you know made it a better environment for you how did it affect your mental health you know um how did your friends react to your diagnosis well like I said I was 20 when I was diagnosed so that's the age mm. when uh friends or well you said well that's kind of debatable your so-called friends you know just sort of uh, up and leave you and uh, yeah I didn't really I didn't really have a, a, a real group of friends outside of college so uh, so so yeah it's like yeah I didn't really have any friends by the time I had a diagnosis because right. so much so much things went down and in some ways it was sad because I knew I had to move on with my life and you know cuts and out of my life you know and at the same time it was like an opportunity to make new friends and things mm. like that but the, that's the trouble that's the trouble with social isolation you know where do you begin it's like you know I mean, there's barely any support groups anymore and they're few and far between they might be in the city but that's quite a travel so yeah let's say that's the episode between the ages of 20 and 25 i was practically alone really 
Yeah, I mean, people with autism, they're like, you know, square pegs and other people are round holes. And the more you try and put the square peg into a round hole, you're just going to do more damage to the peg. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think after a while, I sort of realised I was never going to fit into anyone's pigeonhole. It was, it was that time in life where I had to sort of go out and just figure out, do a lot of soul searching and decide, you know, what's right for me as an individual rather than being something other people probably want to be because truth, sad truth is I just wasn't going to, it just wasn't going to work out that way. So alongside sort of the, the, the treatment from medical professionals, was there like one activity? I mean, we've spoken to quite a few people with autism for this for this week in particular and they they say that finding um activities to sort of uh, help them express themselves so louise for instance she's got um her music and her sister Gemma is into running is there anything that you sort of do in your spare time that sort of helps with the sort of the anxiety that that autism causes yeah i've always been a very creative person i uh... mm. I do things like, uh, you know, drawing, sketching, creative writing, those things. When I was diagnosed, my specialist, she, you know, she saw in my school reports that I was a bit quite the artist and she challenged me to, you know, apparently she collected like drawings from you know, patients and things. So she, she challenged me to, you know, draw something, something quite specific, which was the origin of Batman. So, you know, I went away and I did this like noir black and white sketches of, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents being gunned down, pretty morbid, but wow. that's, what, wow. that's what it is. And yeah, and she, uh, and she kept those. Uh, so, Oh, yeah. that sounds great. I would have loved to have seen those. I mean, as you said, quite dark, but uh, no, it <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Batman's my favourite, my, my favourite character anyway, so, uh, yeah. So, Graham, I know you know Louise uh, Steele, who's been a, a, a former guest on our podcast. Can you tell us a bit about how you know her? About a year after we started, I started getting uh, emails off of her. She, she was really interested in uh, doing something about Autism Awareness Week, so uh, she started contacting me, and uh, so I invited her down, and... Yeah, met her and, you know, we talked about the group and what we did, kept some photos and, yeah, and, well, at first I thought it was going to be one of these one-off things, you know, but uh, a few weeks later she contacted me on Instagram and she told me that she herself had got a diagnosis of uh, being on the spectrum. So, it's, so, yeah, and based on what I understand from your podcast, I was probably one of the first people she actually told about. Mm. So, yeah, she told me she and her twin sister, Gemma Steele, the uh, GB athlete, also had a diagnosis as well. So, mm. yeah, about a year after that, uh, I, I got to meet Gemma Steele as well. They both came to our workshop, so we had a bit of a celebrity guest, which was quite nice, you know. Um, Gemma had never really spoken about her autism diagnosis, and I just thought it was it's such a such a great thing for her to do to be so open and honest about her experiences with with i mean she 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 knows alice but she'd never met me before and i think it was great feedback for us alice wasn't it when she said it just felt like she was sat talking to her mates really so 
a great little a session we had with her and it, I was just in awe. In fact, I'm always in awe of the people that come on our podcast and, and are so open about their lives and willing to, to talk about their conditions or disabilities. I just think it's it's absolutely brilliant because they're doing a vital thing, really. Well, and I think one of the things that's really cool about kind of Gemma and Louise's stories is how much they accomplished before they got their diagnoses. Exactly. exactly. I remember when Gemma came to our workshop, she came in and she brought all her medals that uh, she'd won from various marathons and races over the years. Mm. And I thought, this is incredible stuff. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And did you find that the group got a lot out of Gemma's visit? Uh, yeah, I think I think they did. They uh, yeah, they were very interested, and you know they listened with uh, the glee. And yeah, Gemma's from what I heard on the podcast, Gemma's a real social butterfly. So yeah, she was talking <laughs> with everyone, joking with everyone, taking part. So yeah, she was. I mean, she's always welcome back, of course. I mean, yeah, she was a real, uh, really brightened the day. I think what I'm learning about, through, you know, through this autism awareness, these conversations we've had is the fact that I think autism, it sort of makes you more, it can make you more focused on, you know, things you really enjoy. And so you become like an expert in the, in your chosen sort of hobby or, or thing you really, and you become really, really good at it. And to me, that isn't a, that isn't a negative at all. If you, you're really good at something, it's a, it's like, it's almost like, um, like a booster isn't it really for, for interests and hobbies i think i think they, they say you need to do something for 100 hours to become you know really good at it and yeah. i think that most the sort of neurotypical people just find that life and things like that get it gets distracting whereas i think because people with autism quite often have do have that ability to just just focus on specific things and I think you know it works both ways because it means that there are some people who are struggle with sort of hypersensitivity to certain things but I think if you're able to tap into that then it is a really good kind of source of creativity and uh sort of a drive you know it's a really strong driver do you find you know you said that you had kind of a mental breakdown at college do you find that there are still elements of struggling with anxiety in in terms of sort of your mental health that you still find difficult to deal with or do you feel you know as though your things like anxiety that you've you felt in the past do you feel like you can relate those more to your autism or or is or do you feel like the two are very separate uh it depends i mean everyone has their role perhaps their role to play i, I think you, you know i mean you could uh you know, it really breaks my heart when I hear these stories about, you know, autistic people who grew up in very dysfunctional homes, you know, maybe the parents were very understanding, maybe weren't very understanding and, you know, things weren't healthy as they were and you know, as a result they, you know, they attract unwanted attention and they're led astray easy and uh, they get involved in things like, uh, you know, crime and things like that, unfortunately. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I think Autistic people really benefit from more, you know, of a non-toxic environment. You get what I mean? You know, because, you know, I used to be surrounded by quite negative people, things, you know, quite bitchy, you know, quite gossipy and, uh, yeah, really negative, you know, to hear them talk. It's like, you know, it's like they want you, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I, yeah, I, I really benefit more from, uh, you know, being surrounded by more positive people. I mean, yeah, okay, things are bad. You know, when you, if you look at the glass half, half empty kind of thing, but, uh, you know, the, but at the same time, the glass could still be half full, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And I think everybody just thrives, don't they? When they're, when they are in a kinder environment, when people are nice to one another and everybody is respected, I think people just flourish, to be honest. I don't think that is, is anything sort of, that's not a new idea. I think if any, if everybody was a little bit kinder, the world would be a lot nicer place, really. Yeah, I agree. I'm a, I'm a bit full of the whole uh, be kind mantra. That kind of yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, back in college, I met all kinds of uh, people, and uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they were all bad, but uh, some were pretty, you know, pretty toxic to be around. Mm. And lots of big egos, and yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I can't live my life with that kind of BS. I mean, I mean no one can really. You know what I mean? No, no. I think it. Re you know, it sounds like you made a real conscious effort to put yourself and your mental and emotional well-being first and I think that a lot of people a lot of people neurodiverse or atypical all find that you know lots of people find that really difficult um whether you're neurodiverse or not and so I think it's 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 great to hear that you've done that and I think it it's really interesting to hear that because I think one of the things that a lot of people think about uh, people with autism and there is that kind of representation of people with autism is that inability to understand emotions even their own emotions and you know you've clearly been able to identify what is the right choice for you mm. um, you know and your emotional and mental well-being and as I say that's that's hard for people without uh, you know neurodiversity yeah i mean uh, you know i was like uh, you know growing up i was like a like casper the friendly ghost really you know i always wanted friends but there was always this you know barrier in front of me present preventing me from uh, from uh, you know establishing friendships maintaining friendships things like that and uh, i think as i got older i sort of realized you, you know it's, it's, it's all right to want friends you know everyone wants to be Included, socially included, you know, I'm a big advocate of social inclusion, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah, unfortunately, just unfortunately, you're not going to get that with everyone. You know, some people just you know, sew up themselves, and uh, that, that's it's, it's never going to work. So you just move on, really. I think I can uh, I can speak from having uh, having a visible disability. So being in a wheelchair that I know that I make friends you know I can make friends but there are people out there in this world that will never really want to be my friends they just are hell-bent in misunderstanding me they've got their own stereotypical view of what it's like to have a friend in a wheelchair and um, I'm quite happy with the small group of friends I've got Do you know what I mean I'd rather have a small group of friends than a large group of people around me who pretend to be my friend like 10 million followers on instagram and things like that you know that's uh, you know, yeah exactly the numbers game now hasn't it so yeah yeah, uh, yeah i'm not a not a 
I'm not an antisocial person, far from it. I'm, uh, you know, I still believe in things like love and being kind, things like that. And uh, unfortunately, some people just don't share that. They'd rather be, uh, they intentionally go out to be antisocial and get yeah. out of food. No, no. I think it comes from being damaged and unloved oneself, usually, sadly. Um, I was just going to say what, what Alice just said about, you know, empty vessels making the loudest noise. I mean, you know, you can you can pretend to be, you know, happy and all that. But, uh, you know, based on what I know now about people, you know, I, I can pretty much spot a hypocrite from a mile away, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I know all the signs because I've been there myself, you know. So you said that you, you consider yourself quite a... Uh, you well, you said you don't consider yourself to be antisocial, and you said uh, right at the beginning of the show that you do a lot of work with uh, vulnerable adults and adults with autism. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and sort of the work that you do? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. About five years before uh, you know lockdown happened and all of that, I was approaching the age of thirty and uh, not really doing much, and uh, my my usual, the usual self-help group that was in the area was uh, shutting down because not many people were interested. Was that a autism-specific self-help group, or? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was set up by uh, by uh, by a late uh, someone who's died since since. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, what was I saying? There? Okay. Yeah, like I said, it was uh, to, you know, shutting down. There wasn't really anything in the area. And me and my friends, well, me and my two, two good friends, we, uh, we thought, you know, why don't we set up and do something on our own, you know? So I sort of took charge of the whole thing because I probably had more experience in business before we go to college yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. So we set up our uh, little group with the help of uh, another group who could give us all the resources and actually help us from day one to, to apply for funding things like that, which is good because, you know, because I, you know, could, you know, you struggle with, uh, you know, things like paperwork as it is, but uh, they really took us under our wing and saw an opportunity to be, to do a co-production and, uh, and uh, yeah, and we just took it from there and within a year we had our own bank account and we were starting to do some stuff and it just grew and grew and grew. That's amazing. Yeah, the group's called... Uh, the Swollen Carisperger Society, but uh, I sort of came up with that name because I wanted the abbreviation to be rather catchy, SAS. That one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's worked. So uh, yeah. Well, we can uh, if if you've got a website, we can link all that in our on our website for you for you guys if you want. Um, but that's that's amazing. So I mean, do you find sort of like it gives you a bit of a purpose, sort of? supporting and helping other people that have got autism in in that group situation is it something that you really enjoy doing because you can sort of give back a little bit uh, yeah it works on many different levels i mean uh, we were giving people to come in do some artwork have a, just have a cup of tea bit of a chat make some connections and uh, and uh, yeah and uh, when you're on the board which is what me and my friends are you also get the opportunity to do some training and uh, learn more business skills and things like that. Mm. Uh, I remember at one point we 
uh, did some uh, media awareness training up in uh, Leicester, which was a very interesting day. So, and do you think that you know your experiences of mental illness and things like that? Do you think that that's been helpful with you being able to provide support for other people with autism? You know, who who you're the people who you're meeting because I. I imagine particularly for people who are having sort of it's unexpected diagnoses or um or long sought diagnoses it's quite an emotional roller coaster really uh, it can be well you can still get you still get your good days and your bad days and uh, and uh, yeah it's, it's like with the group uh, you, you know it's a nice little uh, nice little space uh, not many well not too many there's a little like designated quiet room off the uh, bit off the end that anyone can use at any one time. So uh, yeah, and you know we promote things like you know respect and yeah things like that. I think what's great about support groups that are set up by the people they're aimed at is that there is a deeper understanding of not just the difficulties but also what you can do within that group to help support the people it's aimed at in the best possible way isn't it really it's that kind of knowing exactly you've you've managed graham to identify a problem or you know or seeing that there's something lacking in in society and thought well you know if we could set up a group that does xyz it would be really beneficial and i think they're 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 the they're the groups and the organizations that really work because you've got understanding right from the grassroots up haven't you really you're not sort of relying on people who don't understand or know a little bit and are, are sort of fudging their way through it's it, you you've got that basis of understanding to build a great foundation on and i think it's fantastic really yeah i wouldn't even call it a support group i wouldn't personally it's uh, i think support group has a bit of a negative connotation like you know yeah. like alcoholics and druggies and like that yeah and i just thought to myself you know we're part of the we're part of the same society i mean you know okay it may be different but we're as much as part of society as uh, you know any other label we can think of you know so really it was more about uh, celebrating difference than anything else we uh yeah we've uh, had some diversity awareness training as well with the uh, the caribbean community and they were really supportive of the whole project yeah, that's, yeah, like I said, it's all about inclusion at, at the end of it. And I think sort of going back to what Lucy was saying, something that you see a lot um, in terms of, of support groups or activity groups or even, uh, you know, kind of therapeutic services like counselling is professionals coming along and advising and saying, well, I, I mean, in my uh sort of day job I work in social care and um I had a conversation with somebody quite recently who said that they'd been told by a social worker how to set up their uh, counselling office so that it was suitable for an autistic client and I sort of said well have you actually spoken to the client about what is going to be best for them because the social worker will probably have a list of these are common 
sensory things that you know even if it's a social worker who has a specialism in uh you know learning difficulties or uh, neurodiversities everybody's individual experience is different and so just kind of going actually to the people you're working with and talking to them directly that's where you get kind of the most genuine information and i think you know that's what lucy was saying about when these groups are set up by the people who have that lived experience it really does make a difference because you're just more aware not only of the things that work for you but you probably know other people and have friends who have similar but different experiences so you're more able to go well you know let let's look at what works for everybody rather than let's look at this tick box list yeah. of things and also it, i think it helps the people that are using the service if they know that that the people who are running it are experienced and know what they're talking about it makes them feel understood and it makes them feel comfortable and it makes them feel respected it's r rather than talking down to you're just talking to mm. you're not dictating we're going to do this today because i've heard that's what autistic people like to do or i've heard that's what people in wheelchairs like to do you know like it's the whole making bird boxes situation so a lot of you know when you go to day centers for people with disabilities for some reason they seem to think that we like making bird boxes because they will do that till, till we're blue in the face and it's just boring um so you get that understanding of you know instead of i've heard people like to do it's more of a what would you like to do you know what 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 activity suits you best because it's it's like putting a football match on and say we're going to play football today well i can't kick a ball so i'll just what, what do i do do i just sit you know sorting the socks out what do i do kind of thing it's i just think it's it's a it's a great way of setting up a group really and to have people on on the board who you know have the same condition as the people you're supporting is another great way of doing it it's all about equality and diversity really isn't it and not just being you know the able-bodied person who who goes yes i know best yeah yeah some people are just patronizing and all of that but uh, yeah i mean well some of the people who come to our group, group they're, they're not they don't have a diagnosis on the spectrum but they still suffer from things like anxiety and depression and you know things we can all relate to so yeah we're quite inclusive we don't really turn anyone away we let no. people come and go as we please so uh, yeah yeah and is that for for people who are newly diagnosed or have been you know have had a diagnosis for a long time or is it for everybody really it's for everyone really we don't really ask questions you know people we just advertise and if people want to come they come and well, this was before the lockdown happened, so we haven't really done anything since. Oh, actually, uh, yeah, I was recently approached by uh, by uh, by someone online about uh, doing some consultation for the, uh, the local council and the Citizens Advice Bureau about this uh, this uh, new training course being launched in Aid of Autism Awareness Week. So, yeah, basically they sent me a, like a PowerPoint presentation kind of thing, so I had to through that so yeah i sort of scanned the whole thing made notes about things about how layout can mm. help people take in information and what bits of information to include and 
and uh, yeah, ended up leaving about 125 comments on it. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a constructive way, in a constructive yeah. way, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a good presentation. It sort of reminded me about, you know, things I'd long forgotten about, you know, my needs and what the symptoms were. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I've been doing that for a while, so, yeah, it's good that, do you quite do you find it quite encouraging, Graham? And do you quite like it when people come and ask you for help with things to do with autism? Is it something that you enjoy and and sort of relish in? Uh, yeah, I think it's nice when people you know come to you for for advice rather than the, the other way around. You know, because because uh, uh, you know because we have we have so much to offer. We really do, but most people just can't see it really so that's probably part of the reason why i set up the group really become sort of an entrepreneur that kind of thing you know just to show you know i was capable of doing something and yeah we've done some pretty impressive things in our time we one of the first things we did was actually publish a, a coffee table book with all that artwork and bits of writing in and things like wow. that so there's a product there that's still selling well and uh, still gets attention you know you bring it up things it's like okay this is what we're capable of and yeah it really shows what we're capable of yeah that's, i think it's fantastic i really do i think that you know it's it's just about going looking past that diagnosis and i think that's one of the really nice things about you know you were saying that you you have people who attend your group who have you know mental health difficulties and depression and anxiety but don't necessarily have a autism diagnosis you know you're not you checking those certificates at the door you're saying if you need a place where you need to express yourself in a way that is perhaps different from how the majority of society prefer to express themselves and you know maybe somewhere quiet where people will be understanding and open it's really nice to hear because I don't think you get a lot of that i think one of the things that's really difficult with a lot of government and local authority commission services is that, is that you have to have that diagnosis and you have to fit into a very specific box because otherwise they you know they won't place you and so having something that's more open it is just more inclusive and it stops labeling people and it stops making you know that it stops othering people, stops people go, well, that's a group for autistic people. Look at those autistic people. And uh, says, well, this is a group for people who want to sit quietly and express themselves through drawing and have a cup of tea and just chat to somebody. Yeah, everyone uh, everyone loves it. Everyone's done something. We've had uh, done a lot of photography things with like professional cameras and... Uh... All of them have been displayed at the local museum on several different occasions, and uh, yeah, everyone's loved it every time. You said that you're you've got some other big names uh, coming up to that you're going to be working with uh, in in your group, Graham. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've got planned? Uh, yeah, just before lockdown started, we started working with uh, Diana Ali. She's, uh, you probably best know her from the BBC Big Painting Challenge. She's done a lot of uh, museum curation over the years. And yeah, we were working with her and 
we were hoping to do yet another excavation and things like that. But unfortunately, that's all on hiatus at the moment because of mm. the pandemic. But uh, I'm hoping after this pandemic's over, we get back into it because, yeah, because she's a really noteworthy person to work with. I'm very pleasant too. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you find that, you know, when you come up with these ideas, it's quite it's quite easy to get the disabled community involved or the autistic community involved um, in your ideas? You know, do you find it quite easy to, to uh, gather up enthusiasm to, to carry it forward? Uh, well, uh, well, the group's been going for about over five years in one incarnation or another. I mean, each one's similar, but pretty distinctly different in its own way. But uh, yeah, people keep coming back, new people keep people keep turning up and yeah word of mouth gets around and everyone everyone just enjoys it really i think that's what we found with the podcast alice when we started we were we were thinking oh we're going to really struggle to find people that want to sort of help out and come on and do the show you know you know help help us create something and get support behind it but actually you know when we were looking for our historian daisy and we sort of said, do you want do you want to like come and join the team as part of our, you know, our, you know the people that that are actually on the show, and sort of told her about our idea. She just went, yeah. And the amount of people that turn around and go, yeah, I'll, I'll help you, kind of thing. Or it's quite encouraging, really. That I think that we've managed to get so much support so quickly as well. Mm. Well, I think uh, supporting our local area area has gotten better, and. Uh... There was going to be something launched for uh, Autism Wellness Week 2020, but fortunately with the pandemic that suddenly happened, it changed yeah. everything. And, but no, now we have this uh, this thing called the Derbyshire Autism Alliance, which is basically you know these Zoom meetings where quite a lot of people turn up that actually and you know discuss various topics and things like that, and that's going really really well. And uh, yeah, and they're planning on launching some things this year so things like you know website databases of services and things like that so i think support is getting better and bigger if you get what i mean yes mm. yeah, yeah absolutely and i think you know that's that's really encouraging to hear and i think that that's been one of the the things that's perhaps come out of the pandemic is that we've seen where the gaps in support and sort of provision is and actually how flexible people can be with how they provide support to reach more people I think it's you know as much as the pandemic has been really difficult it's really also important to look at the good things that have come out of it yeah I mean before the pandemic I was sort of worried about you know things like Know, bullying and hate crime things like that and uh, and uh, yeah and I think after the lockdown happened I think it was only then people started to, to take things like social isolation social exclusion things like that more seriously you know because because uh, uh, before the pandemic everyone just thought social isolation was kind of an elderly thing you know, mm. but it can affect you at any time in life, really. In fact, I remember I once saw a documentary and, uh, and it said that people in their 20s were actually more likely to be socially isolated than the older because, you know, that's a great transitional period. You know, your friends might be moving away, getting married, 
come to uni, all these things, and you're just sort of left behind, really. I mean, I experienced that, I definitely did, because in my early 20s, I was still coming to terms with my uh, diagnosis and just saving money in whatever mm. way I could. And yeah, I mean, I didn't even know I could get a free bus pass until I was like, just after, well, after I set up the group, really. So, mm. uh, yeah. And that's another thing. I mean, yeah, diagnosis and suddenly, but you're not aware of what, you know, help there is out there for you, what benefits and things like that. Yeah. So. I think, I think that what needs to happen is really when you get a diagnosis of any sort of sort, I think really in an ideal world, what you would then do is say, right, you've got this diagnosis and now we're going to, to, to put you with a, a group of people who are like at the adult end of your diagnosis so you can see you know what is either ahead or you know it's it doesn't all have to be negative 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 and always isn't disability such a, a terrible thing i think it would be such a a helpful thing to have that especially for like parents of newborn children and things like that it would be to be able to have something that you go okay well my child's got such and such but it doesn't mean it's like that there's no future because I think that's what some people get frightened of. Well, and I think, you know, that goes back quite nicely to what we were saying earlier in the show about how proud you are and should be of what you've achieved with your group, Graham, because, you know, you reflect back on the position that you were in you know, you just said when you first got your diagnosis, you were very socially isolated. You were struggling with money. You were, you know, and to now be in a position where you're like, well, I have founded this group that supports people and promotes, you know, self-advocacy and in, and encourages people to um, express themselves. You know, if, if, you'd, if, do you, if you'd been able to see that, at 20 when you got your diagnosis do you think that that would have made it easier for you to kind of come to terms with it do you think you would have felt more positive about it uh, yeah i think it would have i mean uh, yeah i mean we're all different uh, versions of ourselves throughout life you know i mean uh, better off or worse but yeah i think of my younger self if i could go back in time and talk to my 20 year old self now i'd probably tell him you know everything was going to be a Okay, you'll, uh, you know, you'll hold down a job, you'll get a girlfriend, do these amazing opportunities, things like that. You, you, that yeah, I think it would have made my younger self feel better. Because, yeah, because 20, that's like the age where you're sort of still finding yourself. You want to explore the world. And uh, I sort of learned the hard way that the world was sort of restricted. For my, for, well, people, well, I say people like me, but that might be offensive. But, you know, just, you know, the underdog you know mm. i think it's that kind of thing of being underestimated isn't it when you when you're different in any way shape or form people have a tendency to underestimate you um and so therefore your fight to get to the top is almost harder because you're underestimated you must look back at, at the things that this group has, has man have managed to achieve graham and think i'm really proud of that Oh, I'm too humble for that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a, yeah, it's a, well, I think it's only, I think it's only when lockdown happened.
past. I started to look back and think, you know, I actually really, really miss doing all this. I mean, it mm. wasn't easy. And some days you didn't want to turn up in the hall, but I kept to it and uh, you know, kept mm. at it. And uh, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's given me more opportunities to do things like, you know, like doing this consultation thing for the local council and the citizens' advice. So, you know, time was I could go into them, but now they're coming to me. So. Yeah. yeah, you see, it's, yeah. it's something to be massively proud of. And I think it's only in situations like this when you're telling other people who don't know anything about your group and you have to reflect on what you've done mm. and what you've managed to achieve that you go, actually, yeah, that probably is something to be very proud of. How have you been managing, you know, your mental health and, and ex have you been giving yourself that space to sort of express yourself creatively and stuff during lockdown and during the pandemic? Because I know a lot of people have obviously been very isolated uh, and you've not been able to run your group. Have you been doing any online sessions? I can understand online sessions might not necessarily be the most uh, suitable and accessible for people who have, uh, you know, verbal communication um, difficulties. Uh, yeah, my uh, creative writing group, they moved online and uh, and it's actually quite a lot easier cause, than travelling because uh, sometimes travelling is not, not very easy. And yeah, they had set up an online thing where you upload your writing, they give comments back on it, constructive comments, you know, kind of similar to what I've done with this uh, slideshow I mentioned. And, uh, yeah, strange really, because before lockdown, I sent something off to writing East Midlands for uh, for a, for the hope to be offered a mentorship scheme, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't get through. But they've identified my writing as quite promising, and they sent some lovely feedback on that. So by the time lockdown happened and my writing group moved online, I was you know all up for you know uploading stuff online rather than reading them out. And some mm. were nervous about it. I'm not, well, I'm, well, I don't think I'm not, I've sort of gained confidence in that area over the few years. So, uh, yeah, apart from that, uh, I'm actually a key worker, so I've actually worked uh, well, non stop during lockdown. So, yeah, and I was I'm quite proud of it actually, you know, being a key worker because, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big believer of giving credit where it's due and, uh, you, know, people, you know, people like, well, what you call them, key workers now they just weren't getting the credit they deserved really. mm. so so yeah it's like you know, like i said it's like giving credit where it's due and, uh, and uh, yeah i've worked all the way through this uh, pandemic and i had a day off and you know i'm out there risking my life and yeah yeah have you had your vaccination yet uh my parents my mother has that at least and uh and i have a friend who's connected had his last yeah. week so uh, yeah we're getting there getting there slowly like the end of yeah. the tunnel is getting ever closer isn't it it is hopefully yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm an advocate um and sort of do, working with social inclusion and giving people supporting people to engage with health services um so i have also been working all the way through and i work with a lot of um adults with autism in my job because a lot of what I do is supporting people particularly to access like GP services 
because I find, and it's been one of the things that's been really difficult for a lot of people, a lot of the people I've worked with who have got autism diagnoses is sort of the, the changes in, there's been some very big, very sudden changes in how we access services and how we live our daily lives because of the pandemic. Um, and so I think that particularly people who have uh, got sort of neurodiversity have needed that extra support uh, to get through the pandemic, to be able to, you know, uh, continue to be mentally as well as physically kind of well and empowered. And I think that that's been something that's been recognised as even more important because of the pandemic. You know, the, the, the value of providing a little bit of extra support and being a little bit more flexible with how we promote and access services. I kind of want to say, Alice, that <laughs> as I've said before, you have been my total support and reason to keep going throughout this whole pandemic because every time I felt a little bit like I'm really fed up, all I want to do today is cry, which I do a lot of. People will know by now that I cry a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, every time I felt fed up, really, you know, not really wanting to do anything and, and don't really see the point. Alice has chimed in with, do you want to just do this bit for, for the podcast? And it's given me something to focus on. So I think you've been a, a great support to me and no doubt countless others. I mean, that's the, the thing about advocacy is that it's about uh, empowering other people and, you know, promoting other people to take action for themselves. I'm constantly saying to the clients that I work with, well, why don't you do that? Because, you know, my job is basically this is being paid to tell people how to do stuff and then making sure that they do it. Yes. Because taking, you know, taking charge of somebody's life for them, providing, you know, even acting like a secretary, you're disempowering a person who mm -hmm. may be vulnerable, may have those kind of needs, um, you know, by not promoting their own voice and their own agency. Yeah, you've you've you definitely have been a, and I don't I don't know whether you realised you were doing it at all, but um, it was it was a great support really, and I think I think I think it's, it's we are you know everybody here in this conversation we are the kind of people that want to encourage others to to you know to live the, the best life possible. And um, it's something I think it's something that I'm I'm very proud of, and I, I know that you are as well, Alice. So I think it's something that we're trying to achieve with this podcast as well is is giving voices to people, you know, giving people the opportunity to tell their stories and you know champion the the campaign or the issue that is closest to their heart. And I think it sounds like you know that's the thing that that is is kind of the your baby and the way that our baby is this podcast Graham mm -hmm. I feel like you know your your SAS group is is the thing that you've really you know poured your kind of yourself into and um yeah I mean it sounds like you and others have really reaped the benefit of that Graham is there anything um that you want to promote any projects and things we always give our our guests a 
a space to uh, promote anything that they may be working on either in the future or currently um so now's your chance to do it and we can put all the links on our website uh, well like i said um, my well my projects are on hiatus at the moment and uh, yeah and uh still a bit in the dark about what the council's going to do for this autism awareness week but uh, i have contributed to something writing east midlands is doing they're publishing some work written by autistic authors over Zoom and they're going to be launching that soon. So that's something to keep your eye on. We can link to that on our website, Graham. So if you send us all the details, we can put it on our website and link through if you like. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link as soon as I can. Yeah, it's, yeah like I said, it's still in the planning stages. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Great stuff. And where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media or um, have you, has the SAS got a website that people can visit to sort of see what you're up to? You know, the uh, SAS has their own website uh, run by yours truly over the years. So, <laughs> yeah, quite a good website from what I've been told. Yeah, if you just Google uh, Swaddling Code to SAS, then it's usually the first thing that comes up. So, uh, yeah, SWAT, the website's called SWAT Asbies, which is, which are both nicknames, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Well, 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 like I said, we'll link all of that on our website and you can find it in the show notes as well, alongside the transcription for this episode. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Instagram as well. So, uh, my Instagram is uh, Mr. Gray Roger and my blog is called My Fifty Shades. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Fantastic. Of, that's become sort of my uh, official nickname over the years, you know, Mr. Gray. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm complaining about it. It's probably the best nickname I've ever had, apart from, <laughs> apart from you know, the you know all the terrible nicknames I used to get called, things like that. But, Definitely, uh, although we're one of the best. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's. Uh, if there's one thing about yeah you know, having a condition it's taught me that not everything is as as black and white as it seems you know it's like you know people like to put things as either you know good or bad or and uh, but no there's this just this in my experience there's this huge gray area in between it's like and that you probably don't even see most of the time so uh, i think that's why gray is my favorite color actually to be honest with you because it's you know sort of neutral and, and yeah mysterious and yeah most people don't appreciate the gray area the gray area yeah i love that graham that's brilliant <laughs> oh graham it's been really really nice to talk to you thank you for coming on thank you so much for your time today graham i hope you've enjoyed uh, your time on the labeled podcast thanks for listening to the labeled podcast if you like the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor, Adam Hall, our music composer, Maisie Crunden, and our graphic designer, Sarah Coney. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.